Yo, welcome back to the Always Better Than Yesterday podcast with me, your host, Ryan Hartley. And thank you for taking the time to spend it with us. And I hope that this next half an hour really provides you a space to uh, reflect, to hear something insightful so that you can be a little bit better than you were yesterday. Uh, And I think that's absolutely going to happen with this conversation today. My guest is Joe Ferraro. Joe is the host of the 1% Better podcast. He and I are massively aligned in our vision and our missions for the world. Um, And this interview is uh, one of my favorite conversations. I really enjoyed hearing Joe's take on um, what it means to be 1% better, the richness in his his depth and his knowledge and his, um, he is an all-round teacher, coach and teacher and it really comes through in the way that he's able to take his concepts and share that with with us in, in, in the next half an hour. So I really hope you enjoy the conversation. I'd love to know what resonates with you most. Please do um, get in touch with myself at ryanbhartley at gmail.com. Let me know what really resonates with you uh, and enjoy the conversation. And please do share it with that one person in your network that you think will benefit from our talk. But that's enough of that. Let's get into a, a fantastic conversation. Yo, and welcome to the Always Better Than Yesterday interview sessions. Uh, I am excited to bring on a guest, a very like-minded guest um, in Joe Ferraro. Uh, Joe runs his own podcast called The 1% Better Podcast, a man after my own heart. I can see there on the on the video now that you've got an epic logo right in front of you. That is professional, my friend. So welcome. Welcome to you, Ryan. Man, I, we even have a similar beard going on right now, huh? Talk about ethos aligning, huh? Hundred percent, hundred percent. No one's going to be able to tell your better story, your story better than you. Please do me the honor of introducing your good self and uh, and telling me a little bit about your your story. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, my name's Joe Ferraro. I'm a I'm a teacher. Uh, Twenty one years in the classroom. So, at the time of our recording, just after the classroom, a full day, uh, one of the early days in the second semester where classes change over. So, the best way I can tell you about me as a teacher is that. My public speaking class and my creative writing class, respectively, uh, switched over. I was sad. My students were sad. And that's my evaluation. I hope it is, at least, because it means so much to actually build a classroom community. When I do the podcast, I get to build a different kind of community. But there's just something special about the privilege I have to, to either in lead or build or work alongside two completely different groups of people, you know, 16 to 18 year old kids, young adults in the classroom, variety of different subjects. And then to have over 120 episodes on a podcast where I get to split between some short essays and audio journaling and then a guest of world-class caliber on the other weeks. Mm -hmm. It's been an unbelievable project to help me become a better teacher. I've done some baseball coaching. I've done some different things over the years, but that's where we find each other today. And you know, I do find that our journeys are very similar. And I think that your mm-hmm. listeners hopefully can get a lot out of how you and I mesh. 
Yeah, absolutely. And um, I've been going into some schools recently teaching some growth mindset. And it, I tell you what, it, it fills the soul. It, it lifts me up. And um, although hats off to you, I don't know if I could do that all day, every day as a career. So you have my respect. And, you know, I've looked through your podcast and you've interviewed some of my own heroes, you know, the likes of John Gordon, Justin Sewer, James Clear, Daniel Pink. You have had some amazing conversations and um yeah hopefully we'll have a a similar one today because i am interested in diving into you your mindset and your story so um tell me about teaching like where did um wh- where did that journey start well let's let's work backwards let's let's pick up where you left off on the word mindset and just mm-hmm. today literally can't make it up we're doing an independent reading project and one of the girls in the class the senior uh, I nudged her towards Carol Dweck's mindset, literally. And uh, I, I had motives for why I picked that book for her, but she didn't need to know those. And in her reflection just today, she's talking about how the book is challenging her thoughts, how as a state championship volleyball player, she wasn't always the star, but she had to work harder than some other people. And she never looked at that as something as a badge of honor. She looked at it as kind of a curse and a woe is me. And without me saying a single word, this book has been able to do the heavy lifting for me. So if you would have said to me 21 years ago when I entered the classroom, could I have imagined a scenario like that? No, I, I couldn't do that. Uh, I was more interested in, in, in literature as a whole class, not individualizing. I was more interested in vocabulary units and the real traditional things that many of our teachers were, were asked to do and forced to do. I started at the age of 21 and uh, I taught eighth grade for five years kind of have that idea where you think you have it all figured out. And then slowly but surely, principal says, maybe you'd be better off in the high school. You take it totally personally instead of a compliment. And then you find yourself in the high school and it wasn't a demotion and it wasn't a promotion. It was a better fit for for my skills at that time. So I didn't even know I wanted to be a teacher until my first day of student teaching. So I, I told that story recently to my new crop of kids. And the abbreviated version is I wasn't the kid dreaming of teaching school, teaching the stuffed animals and working through that. Uh, I wanted to be a coach. And then as I realized that you're going to be able to impact even more people in the classroom, yeah. I liked a lot of what I learned in, in undergraduate. And then in the, in the student teaching process, doing it, being on the stage, being in front of them, I fell in love with it. And I, I think that I've gotten better every year, which I hope so. And uh, I feel very much at home right now. Love that. What do you think makes a good teacher? It's definitely not knowledge of content. I'll start with the negative. You know, I think that's what we all were taught, right? We thought these people standing in front of us were masters of their craft. And, you know, the woman there that knew everything about British literature was, was an idol and it was admirable. But the answer to the question for me is impact beyond the classroom. And I think that a lot of the refrain that I t- constantly say to my students is anything we do in this class, I have to take a long look at whether or not it can help you outside here. And I don't say in the real world because you and I are sitting here in the real world as sure as we're standing there. And that test they had in math period three was as real as it gets. But in the world outside of room 207, am I arming them with things that they can use outside of my classroom? And will they remember anything they've learned and the experience that they had years from now? That, that's what I think makes a good teacher. Yeah. You, uh, I've listened to your, your podcast and you're, you're a great storyteller. Is that something you've intentionally focused on developing? It's something I've intentionally developed, uh, focused on developing even further recently. Mm. 
Um, I will say that I got a lot of that from my mother. Uh, my dad tells his own versions of stories, but they're very short, like a dagger mm -hmm. and on. My mom would sit literally at the kitchen table with a mug of coffee in her hand, and she would tell elaborate stories with voices, and she would always exaggerate. And when we were kids, we would say, Mom, that, that's not how it happened. <laughs> oh, yes, it is. And you realize that exaggeration is not only funny, but it's a weapon that you can use, and, and I love it. So in recent years, bolstered by the likes of Kendra Hall, who was a guest on my show, and maybe Phil M. Jones, and people that, that really – speak the language of storytelling, um, yeah. I have actually leaned into it and I've tried to hone it. I have an upcoming episode with Tim Pollard who wrote uh, Mastering the Moment and he's given me a different spin on storytelling. So without yeah. question, you're picking up on something that has been a focus area for me. Yeah. When, um, when did 1% better become a thing? When did that go from being an idea to a reality? The way you phrase it's interesting because the idea of a lot of things are like, just like you, they're always percolating, right? If we want to be better mm -hmm. than we were yesterday, you got to have ideation somewhere in that brain of yours. And I know you do. Mm -hmm. um, I certainly pride myself in doing that. But J July 1st, 2017 was the day that I hit send where I published it, where I no longer made excuses up and said that $7 a month on Libsyn is going to break me. I didn't say, you know, I don't know how to get the cover art right on, on iTunes and I don't want to run out to the car and get the, uh, the credit card, all these excuses. It yeah. went live that day. And uh, I think that's a great way to think about it. The idea is wonderful, but what are you going to put into action? I would challenge our listeners today that that imperfect action will be better than perfect inaction. And, and that may yeah. be a mouthful, but I think people that listen to your show know exactly what we mean. And that first episode didn't have to be pretty. I'm proud of it, but it didn't have mm -hmm. to be pretty. It just had to get done. I told a student the other day, don't get it right, get it written. And uh, you know, I, mm -hmm. I stole that from James Thurber, but uh, they don't need to know that. And uh, I think it has a lot to do with getting that good first draft down so you can get a better second draft. Yeah, it's, um, it's Labeling myself or my business and my idea always better than yesterday has been a call to action. And, and the phrase was um, for me when I first started, because um, I could procrastinate, it was a case of you can't be always better than yesterday if you put it off until tomorrow. You know, and it was almost like a, hey, man, you, if you're brave enough to label yourself always better than yesterday, then you, you got to be showing up and doing the, doing the work. And, and I wonder whether you have those similar moments with yourself where uh, you're brave enough to, to label your, your mission and your legacy 1% uh, better. How much does that show up in your own self talk? I think you're right on to something there, which is the, I don't know if science would back it up to be a self-fulfilling prophecy, but I mm. sort of look at it that way, right? And, and it opens yourself up to jabs, whether it's in your personal life yeah, you know, yeah. when your wife says, well, if you're going to be 1% better, you know, you yeah. can't do that. Or, uh, you know, if she says, you know, you don't want to be Joey podcast to your wife. Um, mm -hmm. I'm working on that now, but, but without question, um, I, I thought about it as there's gotta be a better way. That was how I looked at it. it. Is there a better way? Is it worth exploring? And I, I really, when I first started, and I think this may have happened to you, I didn't know exactly where I wanted to go. So I would start thinking about, you know, can I have a better cup of coffee? What's a better wine actually like to go with pizza? And it had those moments of like, you know, products and commerce. And then since that happened and since the project has gotten legs, it's pivoted to a much more uh, mindset language behavior combo bucket, you know? And I think that 
do I still want to find the best rice pudding on the East Coast? Sure, I do. But that is not <laughs> at all what the project is about. That's an afterthought now. So I, I agree with what you're picking up there. Mm, so what is the project about? Getting a, a, a little bit better each day, which is why your title, I have to tell you, as I was prepping for our conversation, I actually think I like your title better than mine. <laughs> I, I want to break news here. You know, I, and I know comparison is the thief of joy, but we are aligned, but I just like yours just a little better because it doesn't put a percentage on it. And it is this overall uh, mindset. Now the 1% was cool and I like it and it mm. makes it attainable. So how, in, in, if we're going to differentiate at all ours, I want attainable, sustainable goals. I want things that don't scare people to death. Um, a little action better than trying to do it all in one day. That maybe speaks yep. to yep. my personality and some of my flaws. But uh, I, I think it is when you put your head to the pillow, did you get better than you were yesterday? Yeah. And you, you know, you're right. And sometimes we can um, feel burdened by this sense of needing to be better. And I think actually what I try and encourage people is that even if you are having a day that is dark or, or what feels worse, sometimes those are the days when we grow most um, and to lean into that. And um, we are always better as a mindset is simply an opportunity and an encouragement to, to learn first and foremost. I know both of our work leads us to some great quotations and sometimes you hear mm. a quotation and it immediately hits you. And sometimes you have to sit with it for a few days. I've been sitting with this idea that you just reminded me of from Mark Twain just came across this. People don't know the difference between good news and bad news. Mm. And when I heard that, I said, oh my goodness, mm. it seems so cut and dry, but it speaks to what you just said. You think, I think this is a terrible day because X, Y, and Z happened. And it may take three years for it to bear out that today was a good day, uh, a virtue of good news. But in this moment, we think this is terrible news and it's human, you know, but I think that's exactly what you're oh, getting at, which yeah. is that idea of you know, let's not be so quick to judge how bad the day was. Let's, mm. let's find a way. We might have gotten better today, even if it seems like we took a dip. I love that. I, um, for some unknown reason, um, about nearly 10 years ago, I was supposed to be a police officer. And um, the, the government cutbacks meant that um, they didn't run a recruitment campaign that year. Um, and I lost my place. I lost my place. And that was a dark time for me. And it's very interesting what you've just said, because I describe that day now as the best thing that never happened to me. Um, and it's exactly what you've just said. And I've never really, yeah, powerful, my friend, powerful. Thank you. And I, I give all the credit to Twain, but I wonder and when we're trying to teach young people in particular, <laughs> can we continue to become more and more skilled with our words and our story so that they don't just yes us to death when, the, when we tell sure. them that? So when they go through that breakup and we say, this is literally going to be the best thing that ever happened to you, all they care is that scooter broke their heart. So mm. we got to become even better communicators to get a way to reach each person with the words they need to hear. Mm. I find that I love interviewing people like yourself and in the process, I can't help but be better for it. It's just one of those, those byproducts of, of surrounding yourself with great people with great insights. What are some of the key things that you've learned from the many people that you've interviewed? Well, what are the key things that I learned, as you know, would take a long time, right? Because you're basically 
always thinking about it, always cataloging it. And um, I actually could probably do a better job of really pulling them out and putting them in one place. That's an organizational flaw that I could improve. But I'll give you an, an example from a very recent moment is uh, I had uh, an economist on from George Mason, uh, Tyler Cowen, and mm -hmm. his interviewing style could not have been more different than you and I. And I knew that going in, but when we talked it out on air, it was as if we had two completely different philosophies and both what I would hope to be effective. But what I'll do is I'll just, I'll just steal a few of his moves. I won't try to be lulled into sleep and saying, let me now become Tyler. Like I'm mm. listening to you and your work recently and in, certainly now, and I'm realizing you have a tremendous calm about you. And that's very attractive to me as a, as a someone who, uh, consumes a lot of interviews. Now, if I were to do that, if I were to completely become Ryan Calm, I have now mm. robbed the world and myself of the best representation of me, which is sometimes hyper, which is sometimes Joe energy. And yeah. I want to, though I do want to take from you, um, I do want to take from you that calm and, and use it when that's the best way to do it. Uh, it reminds me of a very quick story of a poker player. I, I, I like Texas Hold'em. I haven't played it much since my six-year-old daughter came to us because it, you know, something had to give and I wanted to give a little time. But on a podcast years ago, there was one line, and this may be a great example for people, one line in a podcast I listened to maybe 10 years ago where one poker player was interviewing another and he said, what is the bet that you do on the turn when the pot is X, Y, or Z. He just asked them a simple throwaway question. And I'll never forget the gentleman said, my bet on the turn is never the same. It's the exact number that I want to do the job I want it to do. Mm -hmm. So if I feel that betting five pounds would get yep. the job done that I want, I'm gonna bet mm -hmm. five pounds. And if I think $5,000 will do the job, I'm going to do that. In other words, he might not always be right, but if he wants them to raise, he's going to bet X. Mm. And if he wants them to fold, and that's what I'll do in an interview. And that's what I'll do when I'm speaking to a group. What is it that they need? What, I might not always be right, but I think there's a weapon that I have that I can pull. When is it time to calm down with a student? Mm. Used a little bit of Ryan. And when is it time to, to have a little chaos, as Tyler told me? And I'll use that as well. So the answer to your question, to wrap it up in a bow, I'm all, it's a spiral. I'm always learning, right? I can't give you one or two. If you give me time, I can, but I want to give that ethos, that bigger picture. I think what you're describing just there was leadership. It's that, can you lead yourself and can you lead the situation that you're put in? And you know, what's your take on leadership? This morning I was listening to PJ Fleck, coach of Minnesota football. So I'm not afraid to go economist, George Mason, football coach who's screaming at me in my morning commute. He, he said, leaders look leaders lift. And I just love that. Now, I'm not the best with mnemonic devices, despite being an English teacher, but he really liked it. They look and then they lift. And, and I thought that was interesting in the sense that looking around all the time for problems, um, head on a swivel, almost literally, um, mm -hmm. looking around. He said he starts all of his meetings. This is a nugget that I, I just couldn't believe. He starts every one of his players' meetings with the same question. He says, what do you guys need? Now that's the head coach. What do you need? And he, the examples he gave Ryan range from the big to the mundane, the urinal in, in number four is clogged. We need that fixed. Um, I don't like our away jerseys. Can we look at that down the road? And you talk about a servant leader who sometimes gets maligned for being show. What do you guys need? Is it incredible? Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe we just say that 
if a leader can ask, what do you need and how can I help you get it? You may mm. have a, a master course in leadership right there. Yeah, that's powerful. How, um, how do you show up as a uh, baseball coach? How does, how does Joe, the, the, the leader, the teacher, the podcast host, how does all that boil down into how you show up on a, as, a, as a baseball coach? It has, it has transformed, and I'm not going to lie to people and say I'm 100% sure it's for the better. When I started in 1999 as a baseball coach, I was the youngest coach in the United States at 21 years old. I was coaching college baseball as a head coach, and we literally built the dugouts. I was confident that I knew as much about X's and O's as anyone I was going to coach against. Whether it was true or not, I believed it. I truly believed it. When I look back at that person, I was not someone who was able to have full relationships with the players. Now, I think part of that was a function of age, if I'll defend myself. I did have a player in the team who was 41. I had multiple players who were older than me. So I don't know that I would have been able to have boundaries of discipline and a really rich relationship. As I went back into my second season of coaching, and I don't mean literally, but, but figuratively my second act, I became completely relationship-based. I became uh, providing a great experience for them. Um, winning was secondary, even though we were going to do it. And I lost some of the X's and O's acumen. So if I were to go, uh, this is my second year, not in the, in the, on the field because I've been pursuing the project so much, but I still work with hitters and I still work with some programs that ask me some questions. If I were to go back into the dugout this year, I actually, if I'm being candid, think I would be at a disadvantage from an X's and O standpoint. I would be at an advantage from a cultural standpoint. And then it would be up to me how well I can communicate that vision to the 19-year-old kids in front of me. So that's where I'm at today. Uh, I think it could change and zig and zag. But right now, I'm a relationship first, culture first. Let's make the baseball Mm. team a leadership program with a side of baseball kind of guy. Yeah. Love that. What's um, there's a depth to you. There's a depth of self awareness and reflection that's um, that I'm feeling really. You know, it's really coming through. Where's that come from? That is a <laughs> that is uh, my recent podcast was that is a great question. So I was about to say that is a great question, but uh, I, I I don't have a great answer for that. Um, I don't because I've thought about it a lot. I'm actually reading a book right now about self awareness. It's called insight and um, it's just a practice. It's the best way I can put it. I, I'm actually, when I, when I hang up this call, I want to think about that a little more to have a better answer because mm. I'll be honest with you. I have had that compliment before. I'm not going to run from it. It was a very, it's a compliment I hold dear because on a level of a simple level, when you're walking down the hallway in school, I can just feel that there's someone behind me. And for some reason I see students that Even if they're not on their phone, they're not aware that there's someone behind them. So I have that going for me. But it's much bigger what I hope that you're talking about, which is the idea of I know my strengths and I know my weaknesses. Um, So the best answer I could give you is that I do practice it. Much much Mm. like people I'm told work on cardio. I'm not there yet. Um, But I do work on self-awareness. And uh, you've challenged me here today to think about Mm. a better, you know, origin story. Because I wasn't very helpful for people there. But it is something that I take a lot of pride in. Thank great you. answer. I wonder whether it's to do with anything about being 1% better, because how do you know if you're 1% better if you don't know where you are right now? Yeah, you got to have some status, right? Some data. Mm. You know, I, I can answer it from, the, from a gratefulness standpoint. I, I use this phrase once that 
if you look at the data of my life, uh, I've been very, very lucky. I've been fortunate. So it's, I, I can't help but have a positive attitude. That doesn't speak directly to self-awareness, but maybe it does in some tangential way of like, if I know I've been luckier than most, it takes like a real pain in the butt to then say, well, hey, you know, I'm not going to be grateful and not going to have a positive attitude. But you've given me something to, to think about a little more. I enjoy that. Thank you. What's your legacy? Do you think about legacy much? I don't know if it's um, popular to say yes, but I am going to say yes. Um, mm -hmm. I'm looking beyond uh, the computer screen at a uh, framed picture of alumni classroom three. And mm. uh, that was an event that uh, we just celebrated number four, where it's basically one more English class. Uh, this past January, I had 70 former students and student athletes come back. And instead mm. of just a wine and cheese kind of crudité, we did an English class where I gave part lecture, part storytelling. I did some group work. I asked their stories. I had a panel on stage. It's like part TED talk, part uh, alumni game, part English class. And I wouldn't be candid if I didn't tell you I was interested in legacy because one of my cornerstone beliefs in education is that the four walls of a school don't contain and don't restrict it, uh, learning, mm. lifelong mm. improvement. So uh, when I look at that alumni classroom thing, it's, it's not from a place of vanity, but I, it's a lot of pride because someday you hope that the seeds that you never saw bloom are going to bloom. And I'll never know that. But yes, I do want them when they're adults to be thinking, hey, that guy, that guy gave us a good experience, you know, mm. the Maya Angelou quote and whatnot. You talked a little bit about relationships and culture first. What's the culture of your classroom? I, uh, I'll, I'll give it in a, in a couple of quick glimpses. Uh, day two, day three, I take a question card from kids anonymously, and I ask them uh, what the, they noticed about the class in two days. Mm -hmm. And then on the other side, what's one question? And, you know, I, I can't share too many of the observations because they're, they would come across like too positive, too Pollyanna. Mm -hmm. you, it seems nice. It seems that, you know, positive things like that that are very flattering. Sure. But the questions I get are things like, uh, do we have assigned seats? And the other question I got more than once was, um, are there tests every Friday? And that troubled me. You know, I have to be honest with you that that troubled me. And, and I don't take shots at my colleagues and I certainly don't have it all figured out. Yep. But when I hear a, a 17, 18-year-old kid really concerned that I'm going to force them to sit somewhere, it bothers me, right? And I think mm. that um, one of the things that my culture is, to go to your question in a roundabout way, is uh, I do what I think makes sense for kids. Um, I follow the law and I follow the curriculum, but I'm never going to sacrifice creativity in the way of what serves the kids best. And I do say we're going to have fun. You know, yeah. I yeah. say sometimes I close yeah. the door, I tell them, because I don't want other teachers to walk by and go, they're learning and having fun at the same time. It's not allowed around here. And Absolutely. I'm telling you, this is from a place of a, pl of a school yeah. with phenomenal teachers. Yes. So I wonder sometimes if we're losing the, the, the forest for the trees, so to speak, in trying to follow too many old, old ways and yeah. not be open. So I, I think that answers yeah. your question. The, the culture in England is certainly a lot of teachers are changing careers because teaching has become about grade statistics and numbers rather than the legacy of the people that those, you know, young people become. And yeah, it's, 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 um, 
it's really heartening to hear your perspective. I'm not surprised. I'm absolutely not surprised at all. Um, you ask fantastic questions, and I just wonder what question should I be asking you? What question should be you asking me? Well, how about this? You won't, we don't have time for this one, but uh, PJ Fleck again, second reference, just because this is how my mind works. I share what's on top of my mind. So if you were to ask me my favorite book, I could probably pull one out, but I might very well tell you one of the two books I'm reading now. That's mm. just, I'm, I'm, I'm not waiting and I don't have a lot of classics. I, I'm, what's on my mind today? So PJ Fleck said that if you want to work for me, uh, I only ask you one question in the job interview. Tell me your life story starting from birth till today. <laughs> when I heard that, I, I had to like veer off the road for a second. I'm like, whoa, I see what he's doing there because that's going to open up so many nooks and crannies and see what he's, where his hardships are. So I don't think you should ask that to me, but I do think that that question and that mindset of a question yeah. kind of threw me for a loop. Um, I think that's one, that's one to think about. Um, another one that I think is, um, is, is something valuable is, is to ask about the times where you struggled, right? Mm. When's a time that you struggled and how did you deal with it? Not so much mm. failure, which again is more popular. Um, that would be one. And I, and I think maybe how about what, a, I haven't used this one on air, but how about what, what would you say is a, is a manifesto or a, mon, a mantra that you go by? Like what would be something that you kind of think is your life philosophy? That, yeah. that, could, that could throw someone into a tizzy. How would you answer that? Well, the easy answer is, you know, to get 1% better every day. Um, but I think that it would have to be something about uh, the other candidate that would be uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson's nothing great ever happened without enthusiasm. Mm. Um, you know, because, or, or you know what else? It just came to mind. You're getting me thinking. I, the quote I started alumni classroom with is, is just an all-timer from Priya Parker. She said, every gathering is an opportunity to practice a world that we wish existed. I mean, that may be my teaching quote of all time. I mean, every yeah. time we're together is a chance to practice a world we wish has existed. And when that bell rings, you're going to go out into the world. But, but we had this time together. And I, I love that. Those are a collection that come to mind. Mm. It's very... Um... It's very topical because obviously um, with the Kobe Bryant passing uh, very recently, um, I heard a quote from him very, very similar, which is, um, you know, your, your tomorrow is not guaranteed and um, everything you do on the court today is, is what really matters and take, take, you know, take that chance and, you know, make those, make those moments matter, I guess. And um, it just, I think it's very easy in modern world to lose consciousness uh, and just expect that tomorrow is going to come by, um, which probably robs us of our potential, I imagine. And um, Yeah, when you see someone pass uh, like Kobe, you hear the criticism of why does it take someone like that dying to remind us? But as, as is pretty much on brand, as your listeners will find, I kind of go the other way. Um, if we're going to lose someone, and every death matters, why not get an opportunity to wake us up from that, that sleep state that we're in? I mean, mm -hmm. that, that's a positive that comes from that. I would never look at it negatively and saying, why do we need this? To we don't need it to happen. It just happens yeah. to be one of the very few positive effects that comes from a death of someone yeah. that's famous. So I, I do think we walk around in a semi-sleep state. I think we're, we get robotic and we, we fall into routines and, 
If you're going to get 1% better every day, you, you can't always fall into routines. There's positive routines, as mm. you sure talk about, but you got to shake yourself too. Yeah. What, um, what is the toolkit of uh, someone who leads with a 1% better every day mindset? What is the toolkit? I think it starts with communication. I think communication is the fulcrum for me, which is, you know, I talk about mindset, language, and behavior, and I almost mm -hmm. always lean towards the language part because uh, as a teacher, you talk a lot, you listen a lot, mm -hmm. and as a podcaster, you do both of the same. So I just always wonder, um, I guess I'll put it this way. It's sometimes difficult to see someone's mindset without their language. And on a daily basis, when you meet with someone, I often find myself silently saying that was really poorly communicated. Now, no one likes the guy or girl who's actually telling them that, but it's a rep that I get in my mind, a mental rep where I'm saying, I just can't believe that that's the best way to communicate this. It's not the timing to do it. It's not the manner to do it. And uh, I think that's where it, where it comes from. Uh, I think I could definitely improve in the other part, which may be empathy is, is huge. You know, one of the things that I think um, when you've had some success, personal or just fortunate, you sometimes forget that not everyone's had the luck you've had. Um, there's certainly people that are further down the road than me than have, have had better fortune. But I think I could do better with that. Um, and, I, and I think patience as well. Right. I mean, that's I'm giving you strengths and weaknesses. And I think patience is tricky because you want it to happen mm -hmm. yesterday. And, mm. uh, and, and you want to lose 50 pounds this month and to be patient with people and to be patient with yourself and the progress is not always easy. Yeah. How, um, how do you go about landing guests on your podcast? How do you get such prominent speakers to come and spend time with you? The simplest answer I believe is a good email, uh, mm -hmm. well-written email. Um, an example, though, that might help people also is sometimes that's not enough and people get frustrated. So it's like, well, why was Joe able to get this guy and someone else wasn't? An example, I had Dan Pink on the show. Um, you know, he wrote the book Drive for people who don't haven't checked him out. If, if, if you're interested in, in motivation, I might even watch his TED Talk where he talks about yep. autonomy, mastery, it's a great purpose. Book. It's a great and, book. Uh, the way I got him on the show was that I emailed him maybe five years before I had the podcast. Mm -hmm. And asked them a question for my classroom. And that was the same situation with Seth Godin. And mm. I then had a, a legitimate question I wanted asked for my students answered. And he got a chance to get to know me through email a little bit, both of those gentlemen. Mm. And then when it was time for the podcast, I had a, an in with those. And then we can't hide from the fact that there's a little bit of a domino effect. You know, you don't like to name drop, but when you can say, you know, James Clear joined me, he might be on, you know, it may help you get Charles Duhigg and you can mention people as, as classily as you can and, mm -hmm. and just say, you know, the idea is there's people like you that have been on and I'd love to add you. Um, you get some no's, but you know, it's, I've been mm -hmm. very fortunate with that. Yeah. When I um, listened to Atomic Habits, I felt that James had written a book that just described what it meant to be always better than yesterday. And I thought, that's it. I just don't need to write a book now. And I guess, how did you feel with similar ethos when you interviewed him? Almost exactly the same. I said to myself, <laughs> you know, when, when people think of 1% better, I'm, I think they think of James and, uh, and I don't need them to think of me, but it did do exactly what you just said. It said, you know, I don't know that I'm going to write the 1% better book. I haven't ruled it out. On a recent interview, a guest asked me if I was writing a book. And I said, sure, what am I writing it about? I don't, I don't know what it's about. <laughs> uh, because James wrote, 
in my mind, potentially a Mount Rushmore book with Atomic mm. Habits, without question a Mount Rushmore book in habit in the habit genre. There's no mm. if someone's mm. able to write a better book on habits, put it this way: it's either the power of habit, um, or Atomic Habits, or there's a third book I'm just not aware that exists. I don't think anyone's touching that space for a while. Um, but I had the exact same thing because he just he was so clear based in science with stories, he just dropped the mic. Yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? Hmm. What is next for the 1% Better Project? I want to do more live uh, interviews. Uh, mm-hmm. I, want, um, I want to be, if I could design my ideal next phase, it would be um, myself and a guest on a small stage or a small area with a live audience, doesn't have to be that large, so I could get the body language uh, sensing that I'm seeing here today. Mm-hmm. And if I can kind of feel the audience, I'll be mimicking the classroom and alumni classroom and giving people a chance to ask questions in real time. Um, I bought some equipment to do that. And I just, I think we go all the way back to the beginning of our conversation. It's time to put it in action instead of making it uh, perfect. You know, I got to go mm-hmm. back to a new phase I didn't want to launch the podcast till it was perfect and it never will be. And I don't want to go out and do the live event until it's perfect and I need to do it. So that's a huge yeah. piece of it. Um, I'm also speaking to a number of groups, uh, particularly schools about how to use podcasting in the classroom. You know, um, you know, just recently I was in a group where it was the chairs of all the English department in, in Westchester County showing them a little bit about podcasting. So I think that's a niche that I, I didn't expect and see it coming. Um, but I'm wide open to different ideas. And, but those are two that immediately spring to mind. I love that. Normally, my final question is about um, the phrase always better than yesterday. And what does it mean to you? But I think that's been the, uh, the focus of our, our, our um, conversation because we're, we're very much aligned with our ethos. So I will ask you my favorite question if I can. And that is just simply, what do you love? Is it bad that food was the first thing that came to my mind? I was going to say, it's probably going to be that pizza and wine that you said earlier, right? <laughs> That's too flippant, although I Rice do pudding. I, I, taught, I taught a writing class today where a gentleman said to me, is, is, is food and eating food a hobby? And I, and I said, you're damn right it is, because he was looking for something to write about. But other than that, it would be learning. Uh, my answer, mm. if, you're, if you're ever going to edit this and make me look better, it would be learning, because I don't think everyone, I think everyone falls in love with it early. You know, the honeymoon phase, if you will, ironically, during childhood, the dip during adolescence sometimes and in high school. And then for those lucky enough, lucky enough to have it reawakened, it's much more intoxicating than food or wine because it literally changes your whole life. You begin to look at the world anew. You begin to look at things. Every single interaction I have at a department store, I'm saying to myself, I wonder why that sign's placed there. And I wonder if the salesperson would have said this. Mm-hmm. And I really need to steal that from her because that's a great idea that I can use in my classroom. And the entire world, as corny as it sounds, becomes a canvas. And uh, I think that that's something that I, I just, I think it's changed my life falling back in love with it. Yeah, love that. How can people connect with you? Where can people connect with you and uh, be inspired by you? Thank you. The one-stop shop is uh, Twitter and Instagram at Ferraro on air. It's F E R R A R O on air. Um, and you can email me at Joe at 1% better project.com. My website's also 1% better project.com, but I find if you go Instagram or Twitter, all the links will be there. 
uh, as you know, I'm a pretty chronic replier. So uh, if you re if you respond to me, if you DM me, you're getting a response within a couple hours. And uh, I love that interaction. I, I'm certainly not someone that wants someone listening to go, oh, he's too busy. He won't get back to me. No, I think you and I share that idea that we we enjoy the feedback and it makes us grow. So I encourage anyone listening, follow up questions, any way I can help you, I would love to. It's been an honor and a privilege to have you come join. I've been wanting to have this conversation for a very, very long time. I'm finally glad, uh, glad that we finally got to have it happen. And um, I don't think we've even scratched the surface. I'm, I'm, there's a depth to you that I, I could talk to you all evening, um, but for now, we're going to draw it here, and I'm just going to say thank you so much for your time. Um, and uh, yeah, please do go and connect with Joe. Uh, is all I'll say to the listeners and viewers. Ryan, the honor's been mine. Um, you've given me some homework inadvertently to to come up with a better answer for the uh, self reflection and self awareness. Um, I'm going to, to to write a few things down. I always encourage people to do that after the show, so I can have everything I learned top of mind. And I hope we stay in touch as both of our journeys progress. 100%. Take care, my friend. I'll speak to you soon. All the best. There we go. Episode 66 complete. What a wonderful human being. My many thanks go out to Joe. What a, what a great guy. What a thoroughly enjoyable interview that was for for me to host uh, and i hope that you found some benefit in what joe shared there's a lot of great quotes references to books i'll try and capture as many of that as i can within the, the comments here in the podcast um, and a thing i really loved hearing was um the culture in in joe's classroom i found that really really interesting I like the sense of uh, being 1% better and always better than yesterday being a self-fulfilling prophecy. It kind of reminds me of the Henry Ford quote, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're probably right. It's about proving yourself to be right in terms of being 1% better. Um, I love the fact that I got Joe thinking about his own origin around self-awareness. Um, yeah, just, just a great conversation. I'd love to know what resonates with you. I'm just looking at my notes again. Another quote I really liked is that leaders look and leaders lift. Leaders look and leaders lift. And they look around and they, they first ask the question, what do you guys need? Really, really simple but powerful. Um, fantastic. And the other thing that I've written down here that I, I really liked was that a good teacher is not about knowledge. It's the impact beyond the classroom. So that really stood out for me fantastic conversation thank you joe thank you for taking the time to to get to the end of this podcast again please do feel like you can share it with with either your network or someone within your network specifically uh, and i hope to hear you see you back for episode 67 much love take care guys <laughs>